Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Go with me to Galatians, and this morning, I, I just want us to, uh, we, were, we were praying before church, and, um, and Will had a word, he said, I feel like the Lord's telling us to, to gather, to gather, the way, and the way he put it was like, and we, sit, we just sang, set me ablaze, but the way he said it was like, like coals, when you spread out coals, you know, the fire kind of dissipates, but you, you scoop them all in together, and it kind of intensifies that heat. And I, it spoke to me because that's what I did last night. I went down by the pond and I set up fire. And uh, when I got done with that fire, I, I spread everything out so it would die out quicker. I just spread it all out. And he's like, I feel like the word this morning is gather, gather, which was funny because on the way into church this morning, my girls and I were talking about how the word church actually means to gather. Like it actually means to gather. And I'm, I'm part of this, this pastor's group that, that, we kind of interact, and one thing that we were all so frustrated with back in the spring when we were all doing online church is we're calling it online church, online gathering, but we're not gathering at all, you know, and it's frustrating. Like, we just want to all be together and gather, right, into a place, like a physical place. That's what the word church means. It means to to gather, and I know there's also the big C church, but most of the time in scripture when it says the word church, it's actually talking about a local gathering, a small gathering of, of believers. But something I know is true, and I bet you every single one of you have been in church long enough to know that you can gather without ever actually gathering. That's a thing. That you can gather, and, and it's that thing where you say, I feel alone in a crowd right? Man, we never want to be that. And, and sometimes, I will say this, sometimes that's on us as the individual. Um, we can withdraw because um, we're walking through a season or whatever it is. Yesterday, we went to um, the Chili Pepper Festival. Festival. It's this big race we go to every year. 6,000 runners, probably 6,000 plus spectators. I mean, it's, it's just giant. And some of you saw my pictures. Yesterday, they would only allow just teams, only senior high teams, no junior high teams, no college teams, no spectators, there were no vendors, there was, there was nothing. And where I'm used to seeing hills just crammed with people, it was just, I could see grass. I've never seen grass before. And I walked up to this coach and I said, it just feels so lonely. It just feels so lonely. And he goes, yeah, he goes, but man, it's a nice day and there's just so much space and we're able just to look at each other and talk. And I was just like, like usually at the chili pepper, like you, do, you can't even get box assignments for your starting line. You usually have to have like, I tell kids, I'm like, okay, our team's going to be right here. And when the gun goes off, you've got to run up behind our team and you've got to, you got to fight for a place on the starting line for the next race. That's how crowded and intense it gets, and people get angry with each other and everything else. And he said, isn't it nice that we can just all stand out here in this field and just, just talk, and it's just, it's real peaceful. And I thought that was interesting, was I was experiencing loneliness, and he was experiencing peace. And I realized 
I was the one that needed to shift, not him, right? Like, oh, man, and that's the way sometimes when we come into the, the, the house of God and the different feelings, I would say that whatever we're feeling, it's usually us that need to shift and not the room. I've, I've had it before where, where God would just fall on a service and I have a person come up after the service and be like, man, I just, it was just so sad that the Lord didn't move this morning. I'm like, where were you? Right? And I've also been in services where it was pretty apparent that God wasn't moving on anyone else, but man, did God do something in me. And so I would always say is we gather together, be one that's going to pursue the Lord with everything you have, with everything you have, with everything you have. So one, so that God can fill you up and so it can start splashing out on everyone else around you. Right? So that the room can be filled up. Um, Go with me to Galatians chapter 1. No, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. I, I think it's probably good to put Galatians in context um, before we go into Galatians chapter 1. I want to preach out of Galatians chapter 1, but I, I was just reading this heading here, husbands and wives. I was like, wait a minute, that's not Galatians. That's Ephesians 5. Wrong sermon. Um, The letter to the Galatians is Paul writing to the Galatians. This is probably one of his harshest letters that he wrote. Uh, in fact, we'll get into it. It, it, it it's, it's a harsh letter. He was not happy. He was not a happy man when he, when he had Galatians. And the reason is, is this issue that we find um, in, uh, well, it's probably easier just to, to, to read about it. Let's go to, Chapter 5, oh, let's start in verse 7. It says, you were running well. That's just, I didn't mean to start with that. That works. You were running well. I always love running verses. Uh, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Just so you know, he's talking about circumcision. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So that's intense. So I... I, Three or four weeks ago, I got a chance to go uh, hang out with a guy. Um, I knew he was going to be at this one place, and so I, I went and hung out at this one place just to spend time with this one guy because he knew some about Jesus, but he wasn't living for Jesus, you know? He hadn't surrendered his life to Christ. And so I was like, I'm going to go hang out with this guy. He's ex-military, and as we got to talking, he knew I was a pastor and everything, and he started telling me stories from his military days. And he, tr- he knew as a pastor, so he was trying to make them, I wouldn't say he was trying to make them more G-rated. They still, I don't think, were G-rated. Um, he was trying to make them, I guess, a little more palatable for me. And as we got to talking, I was like, this guy, he's definitely into stories that shock you. So I was like, did you know one of the first arguments in the church back in, right after Jesus rose from the dead was uh, whether or not Christians 
should be circumcised or not whenever they come to Christ. He's like, what? Really? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine we have an altar call this morning and someone gives their life to Christ and we're like, all right, if you could just go with the men to the back room over here. We need to talk to you about something. Um, yeah. This is, this is, because, because the first Christians were all Jewish and Jewish people were circumcised. That's, that's the way it happened. When they were eight days old, they were circumcised. And then later in life, if you decided to become a Jew, you would have to get circumcised. It was a thing. And now it's the early church. All Christians are Jewish people. And now some non-Jewish people are starting to get saved. What do we do? Well, what have we always done? Sir, if you could go with us right to the back. Right? That's, that's, what we, that's what we always did. Why isn't it what we always do? And this is where Paul, he's really getting into it. It's not your works that save you. It's grace. It's faith alone by grace alone, right? That's what he's getting at here. But the Galatians have gotten really messed up. They really, really think that it's the Jewish law that saves them. And this specific issue of circumcision has risen up. And Paul gets so fired up about it. He's writing to them. He's like, listen, listen, whoever keeps telling you guys that you need to get circumcised to truly show that you're surrendered to Christ, you've got it all wrong, and I wish these guys who are unsettling you would just go the whole way and just... That's an intense statement. And so I just wanted you to see that. That's not my sermon for the day, but I just want you to see that's what's coming later in this letter. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. I want to preach out of Paul's introduction to the Galatians. No one ever preaches out of the introductions because they're all the same. It just says this in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present and evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the passage I want to preach out of today. And I want to start with this is the way Paul starts. And you can go look, every single one of his letters start almost the exact same way. In fact, there's a form he follows. Go look it up later today when you get home. It's a pretty interesting little study for you. But he starts like this. Paul, and then he says this, an apostle. He starts with saying, hi, this is who's writing you. I'm Paul, and let me tell you who I am. I'm an apostle. He starts with his identity that God has given him. And in other places, he'll say, according to the will of God or according to the calling. But here he actually goes on to say, not from men nor through man. And that's going to be for a reason that we'll look at maybe here in just a second. But, but here's what he's saying. He's starting with, here's who God has called me to be. I am Paul and I am an apostle. He starts with his identity of who God has called him to be. And I, I love this because in Scripture, over and over and over again, we see that this is the formula for how we live a Christian life, of how we live in obedience to God, is we live out of our identity that God has called us. 
Our identity is how we do. Right? Our identity is how we do. Some people try to do to prove their identity. That's backwards. Well, I have to prove, I have to prove I'm a good husband by doing da 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 or I have to prove I'm a good employee by doing da 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 right? And this is almost this defensive way of living. Right? We, we live a life where we're trying to def- defend who we are all the time. I have to defend who I am. And that's, that's not what God has called us to be. He's not calling us to defend who we are. He's, uh, I was listening to um, is this principal of the small school way up north, and he, man, he's, he was really good. I, 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 he has to be a believer. Just when I was listening to him talk, he's like, this guy has to be a believer. This is the way he's saying stuff. But he's the one that was kind of turned me on this idea of instead of defending who we are, we should be proud of our identity. And that's completely different. So instead of when someone comes up to us and, and they say something that's contrary to who we know God has called us to be, instead of getting defensive, we stand in being proud of who God is says we are and that's two different postures of a heart when someone comes up against you and says hey you're like this and we get defensive that that never really ends well why are you being so defensive that's that's not a spirit of christ uh think about think about abraham his name was abram and god called him he said i'm gonna change your name to abraham you're the father of many nations he changed his identity before he had ever done anything in fact, God said, uh, he said, um, it's Abraham's faith, not his works that God counted as righteousness, right? So first he says who you are, and then you do out of that. It happened with Jesus too. Jesus, before he had done one thing, he goes to get baptized, right? And what does John say he says? He says that when Jesus comes out of the water, he hears a voice of God saying, this is my son on whom I'm well pleased. He's ple- he identifies him, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. He hasn't even started his ministry yet. All he's done is get baptized. This is good news for us. Like, like your identity really has nothing to do with what you've done. Your identity it determines what you do. And, and, and some of us really need some freedom right here. Right here. Because, because you have a lot of people saying a lot of things about you. And you like to adopt those things as who you are. Well, you know, they're always like this. Or you're always like that. Or you have that one fight. It could be with a person you know loves you and cares about you. But in a fight, they said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And it wounded you. And you forgave it, but you carry it. You carry it. And you make it a part of who you are. And that's not who God says you are. We have to break that. We have to break what other people have said about ourselves and realize what God is saying about us. And there's so much about what God is saying about you right here. That's why over and over again, John 15 is like is what we live by. You should be abiding in this word every day. Jesus would get up and disappear to spend time with the Lord. If Jesus had to get alone, then we do too. Right? Just so he and I think it's just so he could remember who he was. 
And so I can get alone in the morning. That's why I so encourage, I know some people have to do their, uh, we call it abide time or the devotional time at night. Man, I so encourage you to do it in the morning um, before everybody else wakes up and starts to convince you you're somebody that you're not. It, it's a good deal. And so Paul just opens up, says, Paul, an apostle. And it's not from men nor through man. And, and I love it. Let's, let's actually go down uh, verse 11. This, this goes with that. The reason he, everywhere else he just says, by the will of God, by the will of God, or by the calling of God. But right now he's like, we know he's about to get fired up, right? So he's like, Paul, an apostle, it's not by men nor through men. And in verse 11 he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's going to actually go on to say, I didn't go get any kind of training. I just went off for three years by myself and sat with the Lord, and then I went for 15 days and sat with Cephas for a little bit, and, and I think I was with James, the brother of Jesus, for a while, but I got my revelation from the Lord. And I, I, I think we live in a day and age where um, we like to get our revelation from other places. I, I know in the last probably, well, through the summer till now, um, I've never been a big Stephen Furtick fan, but I've listened to more of his stuff in the last four or five months than ever before in my life, and I just like it, right? Um, all these big names we'll throw out there, uh, Craig Rochelle or Francis Chan or Matt Chandler or whoever your guy is, you know, um, uh, whatever church it is that you're, and, and that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good. I'm glad you guys are, are, are leaning into this. But my question is, are you going to the source? Are you getting your revelation from Jesus? And, and does it line up with this? Right? Because that's important. Um, Forgiveness is a real thing. Um, when we're talking about identity. Um, because forgiveness, man, if we walk in unforgiveness, it keeps us trapped from being who God has actually called us to be. It's like we're living in the shadows. It's like, um, it's, what's it? It's like, okay, here, here's the thing. So like, this is, this is us living in unforgiveness and we're like, hey, I'm, I'm totally living for God and I'm being who I'm called to be and I'm living in complete unforgiveness. And you know how much people can see us or see what we're like, what we're actually supposed to be? Like nobody, because we're hidden away. And some of us do this number like, well, you know, I'm, I'm forgiving. And then we remember the thing that made us mad in the first place. And then, it's and then we withdraw again back in complete unforgiveness. Some of us are like the hey girl thing, you know, like. <laughs> Look at me, I'm forgiving people. But we won't leave the doorway, right? We won't get out and be who God's really called us to be. It's like for some reason we feel like there's some sort of safety by harboring this darkness that we're living in. 
And God is calling us to freedom. He's calling us out into the light. He's calling it, and it exposes stuff. And I'll just be honest, like this last week, um, for me, there was some stuff going on in my heart, and that splashed out on some of the people around me. I mean, some of them are sitting in the room. They're like, yeah, I caught some of that. I'm sorry. We talked. Um, I asked for forgiveness. Now it's on them to come out, right? Um, But this is where where God, he's not wanting us to to live in here. He's not wanting us to stand at the doorway or stay close to it. What he's wanting us to do is completely shut that and and get away from it. And, And I mean to the point where we don't even have to look back and point to it anymore. Like, what if we just left the building completely? And just, that's just not a thing anymore. Like, that's real. Like, you can get there. Like, that's what Jesus was saying. He was like, like, forgiveness is a real thing. And first of all, forgiving yourself, you know what's so cool? This is, this just blows my mind. Your identity, your identity also lies in the ability to forgive yourself. Like, like, do you realize that, okay, someone told me, Someone told me the other day, like, uh, they said, well, you know, forgiveness, it takes a while. And it, I'm sorry, I know I already used this, but I mean, come on, this is good. So it's like this slow crawl out, right? It's this slow crawl out, like, well, you know, it might take you years to forgive. It's just the slow progress of what are we doing here, like, you know, it might take, I don't want to go. Forgiveness is a process. And I, I understand what they're meaning. I'm not trying to demean what they meant. But man, Jesus said, when you forgive, like his apostles said, his disciples said, if I forgive, should I forgive seven times, right? Like how many times do I have to forgive Jesus? Seven times. And you know, one of the other disciples was just being a turd that day, right? And he'd already forgiven him six times for the same thing. And he went to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And you guys know what Jesus said. He said, uh, I say 70 times seven. Right? And what's crazy is that's what God is telling us to do, is to forgive each other 70 times seven. And yet we think when God forgives us, that we have to prove something to him first. And so we kind of carry the shame of the thing we were forgiven for for a while as our identity. If God says that we should forgive each other 70 times 7, don't you think he'll forgive us 70 times 7? And so when God says you're forgiven, it's not you're forgiven, but you did that this morning. Listen, okay, this is not good. Like you shouldn't watch porn and then come be on the worship team. But what I'm saying, if you watch porn and then say, God, I'm sorry, like this morning you did it, and then you say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then you walk up on the stage, you're clean. That's wrecking some of you right now. You're like, you can't say that. Well, now listen, if that's a habit of your life, you need to come to disciple making and and let us walk with you so you can get freedom in that area. That's a thing, right? This should not be a practice of your life. But the reality is, is when the door is closed, you're out of the door. It's not a process. You're either in or you're out. You can walk into forgiveness like that. And some of you, like, you carry in your identity something, something that you're like, 
I need forgiveness for this. And you carry the shame of the thing. And God's saying, you're forgiven. It's not part of who you are anymore. Like, it's not a part of who you are anymore. It's, the door is shut. It's under the blood. It's gone. Like when Jesus left the tomb, he left the tomb. He left the grave behind. We don't have to keep that. And you know what? Now, if it's true of you, it's true of the people in your life too. Extending forgiveness to them. And I get it. There are situations in life. There are situations in life where, where you do have to make like healthy barriers and things like that. But you need to make sure that those healthy barriers and things that you're putting up in your life are, are just so like, okay, just a practical thing going into the future or if it's unforgiveness. And that we can't make that call for you. Now, you can sit with some brothers and sisters in Christ and um, you can have conversations and they can help you walk through that decision-making process. I know um, a couple nights ago, I ate some bad, I ate some bad, it was these pork nachos at the concession stand. And man, they were delicious until about 1 a.m., And for about an hour, I was sicker than a dog. And then it just went away. But for an hour, I was hating life. And then the next day, I was climbing up in the back of the truck. And I, I fell out of the back of the truck. I mean, I fell hard. Uh, my foot hurts today. I'm like, I fell hard. And I, like, laying there on the ground. And laying there sick the night before. I made some decisions about my life in the middle of that pain. Right? I made some decisions. Like, you know what? Ah. It's better to not make decisions when you're in the middle of pain. But I'm going to say this. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you're walking through a painful season of your life and you have to make decisions in the middle of that. And can I tell you how to do that? Do that with as much godly wisdom and counsel as you can get through first of all the word of god second of all brothers and sisters in christ that's why we're trying so hard not trying we are walking in what we call a disciple making culture in this church where we we meet together we talk about what are you going through what are you walking through even even our wednesday nights we've shifted to be a time where we can sit in circles and look in these young people's eyes and say okay what's going on in your life this week and they can say you know what this happened and we can bring them to the word and truly get into what's going on in their life rather than try to do what I'm doing this morning and try to hit everybody all at once. That's hard to do. Because what you're walking through is not the same thing as what you're walking through. That's hard to do. But if I can sit down with you and we can get into this, we can give godly counsel, we can go to the word, and we can help you remember who you are and who God has called you to be. Remember who you are and who God has called you to be. And so it says, Paul, an apostle. And, and man, if you do, do this for a second. Um, get out your phone or, or a piece of paper or something and open up your notes for a second. And we're going to worship here in just a moment. I know I, I've, I've flipped the service backwards of the traditional worship service, but you guys are all right, right? You're Okay. I'm trying to gather us together here this morning to remember who we are. Can you do me a favor just for like, let's take 60 seconds and um, 
can you just write down who you are or who God has called you to be? Maybe, maybe it's a prophecy you've had over your life, right? Maybe it's a word that someone gave you. Maybe it's something God spoke to you at a time when you were in prayer. And just write that down. Who has God called you to be? I think it was Timothy that Paul told you. He said, make war by the prophecies that have been given over you. Like That's how we make war is by what God has spoken to us. Who has God called you to be? It's not from men nor through man, and I love this, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And I love it. I love it here because Paul can't help but try to get into the gospel already. Like he's just trying to say, he's just trying to say, look, it wasn't man that gave you your identity. It was God. It was God who gave me my identity. It was through Jesus Christ and through God. And that's all he's trying to say. But he can't help but slip over into the message of the gospel just a little bit. He says, who raised him from the dead. Who raised Christ from the dead. It's like, it's like when you get bumped, whatever spills out is what's inside, right? And what he's trying to do is prove the fact that it's God who's called me to be who I am but also it's the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and that's the beginning of the message of the gospel. He does it again here in just a little bit. Down in verse 4, when he says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Like, he's just trying to say hello, and he for a second time slips over into the gospel. Like, like he saved us from sin. He delivered us from sin. That word deliver means literally to, to take out, to, to pluck out, to pull out. Like, like if your kid was standing in the highway and you came and grabbed him out of the highway, that would be like the connotation of this word deliver, to, to pull out, to pluck out. Like, like all the things in life that the enemy's trying to do to drag us down, the father, the good father is pulling us out uh, he's rescuing us. I, I love it in the New Living Translation. It says that he is rescuing us from this evil present age. Last night, I was sitting there by the fire and I was, I was reading and my daughter came up with her Bible and she said, Daddy, what are you reading? And I said, Galatians chapter 1. So she opened her Bible and she went to town reading Galatians chapter 1. And as she was reading... I saw her underline this section right here. Man, talk about the heart of a happy father. I watched her read that line over and over and over. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us or to rescue us. And I watched as a tear welled up in her eyes and dropped down on the page of her Bible. And she said, oh no. I watched. She goes, oh no, my Bible's wet. That was her concern. I said, it'll be all right. I said, what are you reading? And she read that to me. She looked up at me with those heavy, like, like, like he's rescued us. And for my nine-year-old to get it that he's rescued us. Come on, he's rescued us this morning. Like, can I tell you one of your identities this morning is rescued. You are rescued this morning. 
You don't have to live in whatever it is that you, you feel like you have to live in. You're, you're rescued this morning. Man and woman of God. I love it. If we can back up to verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I say, grace and peace? These are two things that Paul says in every single introduction to every single letter he writes in the New Testament. You go look it up. He always says grace and peace. I think to Timothy, he said grace and mercy and peace, but he knew T Timothy was going through some hard stuff. So grace and mercy and peace. But every time he says grace and peace, and listen, guys, I know these are churchy words that we hear all the time. Well, grace and peace, grace and peace. But as I read it this week, I was like some of the situations that I'd walked myself into being grumpy this week, I walked in with anger and unforgiveness to people I wasn't even angry with or unforgiving towards. And guess what came out to those people? Anger and unforgiveness. Like that's what spilled out. But what if you walked into a situation with grace and peace? Now, now listen, listen. What is Paul getting ready to do to the church of the Galatians? He's about to rip them a new one. And yet he starts off the letter with grace. And, and so much so that look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And what he's talking about is the gospel of, hey, you've got to be circumcised. Uh, now, what we don't realize unless we study this is like normal, normal letters back in that day. You'd start with the introduction and you go read every single one of the others. The normal Gre Greco-Roman letter would then go to like a blessing or a thanksgiving. And you've seen it in Ephesians. You see it in Timothy. You see it in every other letter that Paul writes. He goes from grace and peace to I thank God for you or blessings to you. Guess what's completely missing in the letter to the Galatians? This section of blessing. He does not even say it. He goes straight to I am astonished. Like he is mad. He is mad with a holy anger. And yet, and yet he still says grace and peace to you and let me let me break that up like i think last week or was it wednesday night i can't remember when we say the word evil we think like hitler but the word evil actually means like you sneaking a cookie when you weren't supposed to like that's what the bible means when it's when you read the word evil we think evil but but it just means bad but when we see grace don't let that be a churchy word too either Grace is this unmerited favor of God. Guys, like that was good. I'll say it again and just shout amen if you, so we can wake up those who don't know what we're talking about right now. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the grace that you never earned or deserved. Like he's saying grace to you, favor of God on you that you don't deserve. So then when you walk into a room, what if you had the heart of Paul, which is the heart of Christ, that when you walk into a room, none of the people in the room have earned your favor, but what if you gave it to them anyway? In fact, what if they'd done the opposite of earning your favor? What if they had earned your disfavor? Is that a word? I don't know. What if they'd earned that, and yet you walk into the room and you give them unearned favor, like grace? Guys, I teach at a high school Come on, this is something we have to give all the time, right? Like, like unearned favor to kids who are just knuckleheads. 
the Galatians are being knuckleheads. I mean, this would make me angry too, the situation he's dealing with. And yet, he's going to continue to do, and you think, well, he does it to everyone. He does it to everyone. He opens this way to everyone because it's truth for everyone. Everyone deserves the unearned, undeserved favor of God. Everyone. Everyone you know does too. Well, what about fill in the blank here? Yes, they do too. Like they, they deserve the undeserved favor of God. It's a thing. And then he says this. He says grace and peace. Everyone say peace. Say peace. Um, I was going to have these guys play it. I won't. Hey, worship team, come on up. Um, I'll have you play something. We're going to worship in just a second. But um, There's a song. I love it. Um, it's called Peace by Hillsong Young and Free. Play it. It's amazing. Put it on repeat. The live version. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's my jam right now. Peace doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Peace does not mean, when you see the word peace in the Bible, it just doesn't mean like, well, there's no war going on. That's, that's what it means in, in a modern political sense. If we're in peacetime with someone, it just means we're not shooting at each other. Right? If America is at peace with another country, it just means we're not firing rockets over the border. That's what it means in a modern geopolitical sense. But in the Bible, peace means being restored to wholeness. Completely being restored to wholeness to the way it's supposed to be. Like restoration, being made whole, not incomplete. And what Paul is saying, not just to the Galatians, but what he says to to the Ephesians, what he says to Timothy, what he says to Titus, what he says to the Philippians, to all of them, even Philemon. He says, grace and peace. I'm praying for the unmerited favor of God on your life and for you to be whole in a way that God wants you to be whole. And that's your identity. Like, that's who God is calling you to be this morning. Stand, stand with me for just a moment. Well, for lots of moments. I don't want to lie. We're going to worship, so you're going to stand for a moment or two. But as we enter into worship, first of all, can, can I just, like, let me release the notion that there's any kind of expectation on you to do anything. Like, last week was great, but that was last week. We're not trying to meet last week's standard. That was last week. And God did move last week. But today, that's not the expectation. The expectation is, is for you just to enter in and talk to your dad, like the father. Just talk to the father. Like, seek first the kingdom of God. That's it. But if I could take us together and if I could gather us together as a bunch of coals I'd say each one of us as individual coals to remember who God has called you to be God loves you it doesn't matter if you sinned on the way here this morning if we confess our sins he is faithful and just forgiveness of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness 
all unrighteousness. That means the cross of Christ has cleansed you completely. You could do it standing right where you're at. You're out the door. And you can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can boldly enter His presence. There, there, there is no second class Christian. There isn't the person, well, you can come close, but you, I saw what you did. No, we, we come in and as embers in God's hands, if we could all individually remember who we are in God, that we're a royal priesthood, we're a chosen nation, that He gathers us up, I don't have to try. And it's by grace. It's undeserved favor that I have this morning. And He wants me to experience peace and wholeness this morning. It's not of myself. It's not whether I've been circumcised or not. It's not whether I didn't yell at my family this morning or not. It's not. It's just because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus who died on the cross to take away our sin and our shame and then rose from the dead and is alive right now. Come on. He's alive right now. And so, Father, this morning as we enter into worship, God, all we're doing is glorifying You for who You are. Anything good that we are, God, You made us to be. God, I pray we will be a people, a people who stand confidently in the identity of our God who's confident in Himself. The God who does not make mistakes. God, speak to our hearts this morning as we enter into worship in the mighty name of Jesus. God's people, we just lift your hands one time as we, as we enter in this morning. Just lift your hands. I, I, th- I feel him like he's saying it this way. Accept who God says you are. Accept who God, stop fighting it. Accept who God says you are. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.